walked past a driver's lounge at a truck stop in Henderson, Kentucky and heard four truckers giving another trucker a hard time. He was hauling Keebler cookies and the other drivers thought it was pretty hilarious, so they kept asking him a bunch of silly things like, did the elves let you watch them make the cookies? And then they would laugh. Do you have to be an elf to drive their trucks? And they'd laugh some more. And how many miles do you have to log before they share the recipe? It went on for quite a while, and they all laughed, but the trucker was a good sport, and he just kept smiling quietly when they would tease him. And finally, I guess he'd had enough. They stood up in a deep, slow voice, said, Listen now, I only drive this truck for the paycheck. I don't ask any questions. I just back the truck up to the tree, and the elves fill it. And then he turned around slowly and walked out of the room smiling. I think that's the trucker version of a walk-off home run. Hi friends, this is Otis Gibbs and you're listening to Thanks for Giving a Damn. I'm sitting here in my living room in East Nashville. This is a personal journal. This is a bit of an experiment. I like to say right up front that I haven't the slightest idea what I'm doing, but I decided to do it anyway. This show was founded with the idea that there are only two people in art that matter. There's the creative individual and the person experiencing it. And everything else is an artificial filter. This is a way for me to share things with you guys without any filters whatsoever. My guest this week is Dale Watson. Dale is a singer and a songwriter. He lives in Austin, Texas. You can find out everything you need to know about Dale at dalewatson.com. The first time I saw Dale, it was probably 1992 and I was in Austin. I was walking down 6th Street and 6th Street was very different than it is now. And it wasn't a very busy night, maybe a Tuesday. I walked into a bar on the north side of the street. I don't remember the name, but Dale was in there playing, and I'd never heard of him. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. But I sat there for about three hours just in love with the music. I couldn't believe there was people playing this music and uh, this continuation of this great country tradition. And I became an instant fan, and I've uh, probably seen Dale... I don't know, maybe 75, 100 times since then. But Dale was nice enough to meet up with me at his hotel room here in Nashville. And we talked for quite a while, and he shared a lot of great stories, a lot of great history. There's so much that I'm going to turn this into a two-parter. Here's part one of Dale Watson. Very much so, yeah. Yeah, I'm still pissed off about that you know I'm, you know it's, it, I, I, mean, I have a love-hate relationship with nashville as it is and that was just you know the straw that broke the camel's back right there take take my oilers is bud adams still live in houston uh i don't know uh you're not talking about bum you're talking about bum not right? bum phillips bun adams i believe oh, but, yeah 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 no he better not <laughs> yeah yeah he, he pretty much pissed everybody off were you an Earl Campbell fan? Yeah, still am. I go to his barbecue now. You know, he's he's he makes uh yeah, he's got good sausage and barbecues. 
But uh, yeah, I loved Earl Campbell. I loved, I loved the whole Bum Phillips thing, and and we got close one year. And Lovey Blue was really great. I even dated a Derek doll at one point, you know. So. <laughs> no, but most of the Oilers, uh, Mo Bandy's got a lot of good ones because they would come to uh, his club, Mo and Joe's, whenever that was up and running. Uh, uh, but no, I, the only ones I have uh, was when the, a few of the Oilers came in, Earl Campbell included, to Gillies, you know, because that was right in my neighborhood, Pasadena. And uh, Killer was the security guy there, right? And uh, uh, it was funny to see. I didn't think anybody get big as Killer, but, you know, when them guys come in, made Killer look like a little tiny ant. You know, it's, <laughs> and, and so whenever they, they, they would get to having fun, and, and he'd just look at Sherwood Choir and just, you know, say, I can't do anything about these guys. <laughs> <laughs> Because it would get rowdy, you know. We're talking, we're talking about you know the mid seventies in, in Pasadena, Texas. Here. There were fights every night, uh, and uh, you know it was way loose. Uh, it was what what you think of a honky tonk would be, but it was just a mega honky tonk. But it was still had a small vibe. It was really weird. It's like nothing else. It is definitely not like Billy Bob's. Billy Bob's is corporate and. And, and uh, it's a, uh, you know, it says it's the biggest honky tonk in the world, but it probably is. But that wasn't what Gillies was trying for. You know, it was just a little perfect storm that they expanded and became the the biggest honky tonk in the world. But, but it still had that vibe. So yeah, it was, you know, in its, in its day, man, it was. Uh, like I said, pretty much every night there was a fight, but it was it was handled a lot like in the movie. You know, it was. Okay, grab them up, throw them out. <laughs> you know, that's all it was. It was fun back then because, you know, you could have a fight and the police weren't called and, and charges weren't filed. You know, uh, I mean, it, that was all the way it was in Spence, up and down Spencer Highway in Pasadena, which a lot of the honky-tonks were on. Uh, you know, I played, uh, remember one place in particular, Lucky Lady, right there on Spencer, and that's just the way it was. You know, you guys are getting a fight. I'd even get a fight. And then you'd uh, usually the loser would buy the winner – a beer, and they go in and say, "All right, man, you know, you're a good guy." Pat, pat you on the back, and it's over, you know. And and but it, no guns were drawn, no knives, and you know, just and no police were called. But them days are gone. <laughs> now everybody's got their lawyer. The first thing they call <laughs> <laughs> was Mickey Gilly there on a regular basis. Yeah, actually, he played uh, a lot of the weekends whenever he uh, uh, wasn't on the road. Uh, you know, I've, I've, I still stay in touch with a lot of the musicians that were part of that. And, you know, he had the uh, Bayou City Beats were there on the weekends, and then the, uh, uh, the Bourbon Cowboys were the the weekly band. And uh, a guy that played bass for me for a long time, Billy D. Donahue, he uh, was in that, and he's still a good friend. Uh, lives right around the road from me and play, plays at my honky-tonk I got in uh, my little beer joint. I got in uh, Austin and San Antonio. Well, that's the thing about Gillies. It was, you know, it's right in my backyard, and and uh, it's the first place I snuck in to see a concert. It was Willie Nelson, you know, and uh, I've seen Willie uh, Conway. I've seen John Connolly, uh, Johnny Paycheck, and Jerry Lee. You know, I've, I've seen a lot, a lot of great folks there. What was the sound system like there? Was it monitors? Was it a? Uh, it was professional. It was good. Yeah. <clears throat> now you got to remember that place is acres big. So uh, uh, they did have speakers everywhere, but the the sound was always good. Of course, I, we're talking about a time when everything wasn't didn't have to be so loud it it beat your chest out, you know. 
And uh, so I, I always thought of it, uh, the sound system was pretty good in Gillies, especially for how far it had to cover. I like being able to get, the stage was so close too, you know, they didn't have, it was the days before what you see now, I really hate them barricades. They just bug me. That makes me feel like uh, that's, that's just the ultimate putting yourself on a pedestal, in my opinion. You know, let people go up to the stage as close as they can, is my, in my, is my opinion. And, I don't, you know, yeah, I've had people get loud and throw beer up and it gets on my, on my guitar strings, but I don't give a damn, you know. <laughs> I mean, just – and Gillies was that way too, you know. They didn't do barricades. And, uh, and people get right up close and see your favorite singer and musicians. So everyone was engaged. It wasn't just background music. Nope. It, it was a concert. Yeah, it was a concert. No, I have seen some things. I, I played a. Uh, I was got to be a part of a fundraiser there that, and uh, of course they put tables right in front of the stage for the VIPs, and they've done that type of stuff every now and then. But when when you did a regular concert there, it was fun. It was you know, just like going to a hockey game. I saw a picture a few years ago of you, Gail Davies. Sergio Webb and George Jones. Yep, that was the uh, uh, Gail, uh, who's incredible talent. Gail still sings better than most anybody I've ever heard. She was producing a record. Uh, you know, she was the first woman producer in Nashville. You know, she's, you know, she got her credibility. You know, and uh, she produced this record. Uh, Webb Pierce. She uh, championed the fact to get Webb Pierce into the Hall of Fame. You know. And so she did this tribute to Webb Pierce called Caught in the Web. And uh, I was just lucky enough to be invited on it. You know, George Jones, I think Billy Walker was on it. BR-549 was on it. Uh, Robbie Folks, uh, uh, Crystal Gale. Uh, so, yeah, I got to be there when George Jones, that's when George Jones told me that he, uh, he really wanted to record Country My Ass. And I was thrilled, and I thought, yeah. He says, but, you know, my Nancy, his wife, Oh yeah, we just don't think our our fans would uh, like me to cuss because I've done my whole career. I've never cussed. So he says, but I'm just want to let you know that I feel the same way you feel about that in that song. I, and I appreciate. I'm glad you wrote that. So that that was good enough, though. You know, I mean, the fact that that he said that and he liked it and felt that way. So whenever I do that song now, I think I actually kind of imitate George in my head, and sometimes on purpose just to you know throw it out there. Having somebody like George Jones say that, that's better than any trophy the industry could hand you. Right, right. And on the new record, actually, I recorded a song that was on hold for George Jones. Uh, George had it on hold. He liked it. Uh, called Hot Dang. And uh, I was really excited about that. That was back in 92. Yeah, 92 when I lived here for a short few months writing for a publishing company. And uh, I was excited because I if I could just get one George Jones cut, I'd be a happy son of a gun. And uh, held it for, I guess, about six months. And then it came back, uh, well, we're going to let it go because uh, the producer said at the time who was producing his record, which the record was going to be High Tech Redneck. That was the next record. Said, uh, George, that sounds too much like your old shit. And so they said, yeah, we, we want to go in a different direction. So I said, well, that's why I thought it would have been perfect. That's, right. <laughs> you know, that's what I like George singing. You know, that's what his fans want. I, I, I think so. But uh, yeah, we re-recorded that uh, now, and that's going out on the new record in April. 
Did you um, ever get to meet him any other times? <coughs> yeah, yeah, several times. And, and uh, he's always been remembered me and was very kind and uh, super, super nice guy. You know, by the time I'd met him, uh, he done uh, straightened up and started flying right, and Nancy had a good hold on him and was keeping him healthy. And... Them, them stories uh, uh, are more for the Willie Nelson meeting. You know? <laughs> yeah, Willie's the first. I don't get high, but uh, when Willie passes your joint, you just got to, you know. So first time that happened, I was driving over parking lot blocks and everything else. Oh, that's what that does. Good Lord. <laughs> you know, I've got to meet Willie and Johnny Cash, two totally different vibrations. Uh, and I mean that in the in the sense of the word of, of if there if there are such things as auras, you know, because I, I had my back turned. I'd met Johnny Cash before, just as well, I was doing a tribute show here uh, out in L.A., and uh, they asked me to do some uh, Roger Miller songs, and uh, that was all star cast. I mean, it had Ray Charles, hosted by Rosemary Clooney, uh, Dwight was on it. I'll catch them. It was, it was just a huge, huge deal, and they asked me to do that because nobody knew any Roger Miller songs. So I said, yeah, I was local at the time, so I did it. And right in the middle of it, it was just I was just doing a small medley of Dang Me and, and uh, Chug a Lug. I knew Dang Me pretty well. I used to do that regular, but Chug a Lug was one of the ones I did. I, I didn't do it in a show or nothing, so I had to kind of learn it, but it was simple. You know, it wasn't no hard transition. I just, at the end of the dang me verse, I just go into chug-a-lug, chug-a-lug. And uh, I get going there, and it was, it was a tribute to songwriters Buck Owens, Johnny Cash, Harlan Howard, uh, Hank Cochran, and Roger Miller. And all of them were sitting up front, right in front of the microphone that you sing in, along with June Carter. And uh, Ralph Emery was the MC, so I, I get up there and, uh, right in the middle of that transition, like I said, which was the name of the song I was going into. There's no reason I wouldn't remember it. Chug a lug, chug a lug. Well, I just I had a blank. I'm, and, I'm, and what I do whenever I don't remember the words of the song, you know, I take, it, take get a second, I'll go, mmm. <laughs> and then I, I did that and I realized, oh, damn, I'm doing this right in front of Johnny Cash. <laughs> but I remember the words. I got like, chug a lug, chug a lug. And so I come off stage, Hal Ketchum, sweet guy, great guy, Hal. He, he says, I said, man, he says, that sounded great, Dale. I go, no, I messed up on the, on the transition. He goes, oh, you couldn't tell it, man. You did great. He's such a great guy. Uh, but so I, I was kind of feeling bummed, and uh, they started giving the guys awards. They all come up, and we're all backstage, and I'm looking at you know all these famous people, Johnny Cash, Buck Owens, and all them. And I, just, I thought, I need to get my camera. So I go to get my camera. And I feel a hand on my shoulder. I said, uh, son, one second. June, here he is. And uh, he says, can I, can I talk to you a second? I go, turn around, it's Johnny Cash. And he says, uh, I just want to, son, uh, June, here's that boy. And uh, so she comes over and says, says, I'm Johnny Cash. I go, yes, sir, I know. He says, it's, it's June. So I just want to let you know, we didn't even want to make this trip. We were originally planned on, doing this trip with our best friend, Roger Miller. And uh, that's the only reason we agreed to come to do this thing. And then when John, when Roger passed, 
says, uh, we, we just grappled with wanting to cancel it. But we thought, well, we better go. We already said we would. And, and uh, even when we're sitting there in the audience, we're, the show was starting, and we're just thinking, we wish we would have canceled. We wish we would have canceled. And then when you got up there and did that on the microphone, me and June at the same time reached for each other's hand because that's what Roger used to do in his TV show to say hi or to tell Johnny and June, I love you. Yeah. That was, that was a deep thing for me, man. It's still even thinking about it today. It chokes me up, but you know, but when Johnny walks in a room, it's electricity. You feel like there's, you know, there's some sort of power cable that's loose and you, you got to look out for it. I mean, it's just, it's just electricity. It's not dangerous electricity. It's just, you know, there's something, wow, that's charged up in this room. And uh, when Willie walks in the room, it's the exact opposite. Zen. Zen. You know, people may be jumping around, blah, 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 but, but when you're in front of him, it's you're totally at ease. Do you remember the first time you stepped foot in the Continental Club? Oh, yeah. That was to... Uh, uh, see my friend Rosie Flores. It's, uh, I think, 86 or something like that. And uh, it was way different than it is now. I mean, it's been there since the 50s, but it's it's a, uh, it was a just a hole. Was the gun store next door? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sure was. Yeah. It was there. And uh, it, it was a pretty nasty place, but fitting, you know. And uh, it's still fun. It was fun. It's smaller then. You know, it's a little bit bigger now, but not much. But not a lot changed in the way that you, know, you can't really change the walls that much. But it's still very, very, very important part of a Austin scene, and you know have, has consistently the best music touring and and uh, locally. I played the Hole in the Wall. I think was the first place I played. Then you know I played the Continental Hole in the Wall Continental. I played uh, some various other. Honky Tonks around there. Most of them are closed down now. But uh, I ventured. Jenny's was the first house gig, a regular, regular gig I got. That was, I did it every Thursday. And she didn't want any bands in there. She would only have a band in there every now and then, just a duo. And I said, well, just let me do it for tips, and you know. And it turned into Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And I mean, it it, it was really important for the type of music I do, the honky tonk, and everybody jumped on it, and it just blew up. We get, end up getting a, the you know the best place to be on a Thursday night, and so it's 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 it was I think it's integral uh, in its day, and it's we still today now that I own it, Jenny's still there, but she just she needed to retire, you know she just she just had it was getting to be a lot, you know, and anyway we got bands there uh, six nights a week. How's it feel to be on the other side of the? Of the- oh man, I didn't ever plan to be a bar owner. I got two of them. I got uh, Big T's out in St. Hedwig, Texas, near San Antonio, and and uh, of course uh, Little Longhorn. Which, but you know, I got people helping me run it. You know, so it's uh, I I I don't even know. I don't I don't make money on these things. I, as long as they make enough to keep them, make them run, I'm happy with that. You know, I couldn't even tell you what the statement was because uh, I because I, I don't care and I don't. I don't know. I don't care. As long as it stays open and and we can get bands in there to play. Well, who, how did a uh, chicken shit bingo start? Whose idea was that? Well, Don and Jenny po- uh, approached me about playing on Sundays, and because uh, I was already playing on Thursdays, and I said, "Well, 
uh, I'd do that, but I said, you know, there's they're already playing on Thursdays. What? Why would it bring them out on Sundays? And uh, I said, well, you just you know start a little earlier. You know, start like eight o'clock. And I'm thinking, no. I'd, in L.A., I'd played a place called the Rawhide. It was a gay bar, and they had music from two o'clock in the afternoon to six o'clock. And that's the first time I ever played a slot like that, uh, other than a uh, in uh, Houston. Uh, played used to play a pressure cooker. We do that on I think a Wednesday, but it was Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, you played two to six, and pressure cooker. It was where the wives would go and dance and cheat on their husbands, and and put food in a pressure cooker, you know. And then by the time their husbands get home, uh, it looked like they've been cooking all day. <laughs> and so, so. Yeah, but that was that was in the during the week, Tuesday, Wednesday. Uh, a place called the Whispering Pines, and another place was the Cedar Lounge in Houston. But this place uh, was just a, a gay bar, and they had music on Sundays, two to six, and they served hot dogs. It was a good gig, you know. It was, it was smart because people were able to go out early, get home early enough to get to work the next day. So I said, whenever uh, we were going to do the Sunday, I said, let's do it. Early, let's go. Like, is that right? No, four to eight. And I said, let's let's serve food, and we'll do chicken chip bingo because I played a chicken chip bingo in California, but it was an illegal one. Uh, they did do that in the afternoon, and uh, they locked the doors. Once everybody was in, they locked the doors. They had a chicken on a on a board on the two saw horses, and and uh, and a pin around it, and they were like $50 a square, and the house got a cut. It was very illegal. There's a place called the Blue Bayou. For people that don't know, maybe you can explain the rules of the game. Oh, yeah. yeah it's a, well, for our version, which is very, le- it's legal, and, and uh, we're, we're good about it. The house don't get a cut. Uh, winner gets all. It's for $2, you get to draw a, a ticket out of a barrel, and if the same number is on the ticket that the chicken picks in her chicken-picking way, then, <laughs> then you've won uh, $114, which there's 57 tickets, so that's why you know turns out to $114. And we do that three times between 4 o'clock and 8 o'clock at Jenny's. We do it four times uh, uh, over at Big T's just because uh, we got a free-range chicken and people out there just go crazy for it. And, then, yeah, it's just a fun little thing. I thought it would go good for a month maybe, maybe two months. And uh, actually, when I went to, I played that Thursday night before the first one, and and uh, I asked Jenny and Don to sit down. I said, they said, you ready for Sunday? I go, yeah. We decided we're going to do it in the afternoon. And and uh, Don had said, well, I, I got my cooker I'm going to bring out. I go, what do you mean? I'll make brisket. I said, Don, you can't do that every Sunday. What time you got to start it? Oh, about midnight. Should be done by the time. I go, no, you can't do that every Sunday. <laughs> so we got to get something simple. And I was kind of thinking in my head, spaghetti. You know, then I saw. Then I remember that gay bar that had hot dogs too. I said, "Hey, let's just do hot dogs." Throw it in more water, and they said, "All right, we got hot dogs." So that Thursday, I met them and said, "Y'all ready?" I said, "Yeah, we got the hot dogs." I said, you get the chicken? I said, "What?" I said, "We thought you were joking." I go, "No, no, let's no, let's do chicken chip bingo." I said, "Well, tell us how to do it." And I told them, and uh, they went and got the chicken, and Don built this great. Great pen and a board, uh, and uh, Jenny, she didn't just make, just make hot dogs. She made it special, man. She got chili out there and, and onions and cheese and well, I mean, she they did everything 
way better than I just said it. You know, I mean, it's just amazing. You know, the idea may have been mine, but they made it better, you know. And uh, so it just worked, and, and that was 15 years ago, and it's been going strong ever since. It's definitely an Austin experience. It You know, it has, and it's become a, a – you know, the Chamber of Commerce has, has embraced it. And uh, even when they do their little maps of what's going on in Austin, they put a little chicken right beside the Longhorn. So. I can say I've learned a lot about myself listening to your music, eating a hot dog, and screaming for a chicken to defecate on my number. <laughs> yeah, you, you don't, you kind of question yourself at the moment, but you just kind of go with it. Somebody was just telling me last night, I think, or night before last, we were somewhere up north, I don't know if it was Jersey, or they said, yeah, we brought our uh, our kids down there to it, and uh, they looked at us like, what are we walking into? Because they, <laughs> they see a chicken on a board, and uh, people with uh, out back playing dominoes and got the chairs out, you know. Uh, it's, so it's, it's, it is a fun thing, but I think it is an awesome experience. I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me today. Man, thank you. It's been been fun. Beautiful to see you. I'd like to thank everybody for listening in, and I'd like to thank Dale for meeting up with me at a hotel room here in Nashville. You can find out everything you need to know about Dale at dalewatson.com. If you'd like to help support this show, just go to otisgibbs.com and you can pick up a CD, a t-shirt, you can download any record I've ever made, you can buy one of my photographic prints, you can buy one of Amy's records, you can buy one of Amy's children's books, but anything that you buy, we'll mail from our living room to yours and we'll even put in a little thank you note. If you'd like to help out but you're a little short on cash, just go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Leave a comment. Subscribe while you're there and you'll get a brand new episode free as soon as it's available. But if you enjoy this show, or you enjoy my music, or you enjoy Amy's music, please take the time to tell a friend and help us spread the word. And if you'd like to send us a message, we'd love to hear from you. Just send it to info at otisgibbs.com. I'm Otis Gibbs. Thanks for giving a damn.